Let me tell you about the Higher Self Expo July 2021. It's a 24-hour event with 33 guest speakers who are sharing their wisdom and exploring the connection between science and spirituality. Today's guest is a guest speaker at this event. To register your place and find out more, go to www.higherselfexpo.com. Hey everyone, it's Louisa Tanamunson from Feel Good Astrology and I'm delighted. Today I have got a really great person to interview and have a feel good conversation with. Really, really excited. And I'd just like to tell you a few things about him. Now I'm actually going to read this because I want to make sure I really get the the gist of who he is. Um, so, you know, this is really specific information that I'm just not keeping in my short-term memory. So let me tell you a bit about my guest. My guest is a mindfulness practitioner and father of eight children. He found himself at a crossroads when his youngest son's eyes were swollen shut and had laboured breathing and required an emergent lumbar puncture to establish if he could receive chemotherapy. I can't imagine what that was like for him. The nurses had seen how he had t- spoken to his son through earlier procedures like an IV placement, a blood draw, oxygen administration, and they suggested to the medical team that they bring him into the procedure room for the line placement and the lumbar puncture. What happened in that room astounded medical staff and even my guest himself. By using mindfulness, he was able to keep his son still and attentive throughout the whole procedure without sedation and without restraints. And it launched his interest, leading him to create a, non- a non-profit called Mindful Presence. This is quite a movement that our guest has created. So it's absolutely my pleasure now to introduce you to Jeff Granville because I'm so happy to have him here today. So, welcome, Jeff. I'm really honoured to be having this feel-good conversation with you today. The first thing that I'm really curious to ask you about is, is about when your son, McCoy, suddenly fell ill in 2014. How did you know um, to use mindfulness techniques and and how uh, you know how do you use them before how did you, how did you know to use those in that moment because it must have been quite dramatic for you yeah it was very dramatic um the the main um procedure was the installation of the pick line peripheral catheter and then yeah. the lumbar puncture to get spinal fluid And prior to that, he had to have an IV placed and a lab draw and some oxygen. And he was afraid of all of those. And I had been exposed to, you know, controlled breathing and like guided meditations, guided imagery. Um, Very little. Just I read about it. I wasn't a practicing, uh, um, you know, a practitioner of of it at all. Um, And... When he was diagnosed, um, I really didn't have a choice. Um, they they had nothing available medically to help him. They couldn't give him anesthesia or he'd lose cardiorespiratory tone because of the um, constriction of all the tumors in his chest and in his neck. And um, they held a care conference and said, you know, some of the nurses and doctors have witnessed you talk him through stuff. And we don't have the means in which, you know, we're, they, they literally said we're chasing something we can't catch. And right. the only idea we have is to get permission to get you into the surgery room to help talk him through it. And um, we really didn't have much time at all to prepare. It was after the decision to get me in the surgical room, we had about an hour to get ready. And I just kind of went inside myself, tried to calm myself and calm him. And um, the the wording just came to me. It, it was one of those things where, as we know now, as I've researched and found out now, that when you're truly in the moment with the need, that's when clarity comes. That's when divine inspiration comes. Um, when your mind is full of chatter, your cup is full and you have no room for divine inspiration. And when I was being calming myself with breathing and calming him, um, the words just came to me. So it was something that was literally invented on the fly. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it sounds like a very sort of divine moment a divinely inspired 
moment for you that came at just the right time. Um, it's, it's incredible, actually, that, um, you know, the medical team had had suggested that, had, had come up with that. So it, re- it really sort of speaks of the seriousness of the situation. Um, yeah. But it's a kind of unusual thing to hear doctors want to do, isn't it? Um, so um, I, I'm hearing that you um, sort of pre- prepared yourself in the moment. Did you then later um, use your techniques to help him through other procedures? Yes, absolutely. Um, after the, especially the lumbar puncture, that was yeah. an absolute paradigm shift for everybody in the room, the yeah. medical staff, McCoy and I, and it was something that I had this really profound insight that we were the eye of the storm, that we were the calm inside of a storm and everything was happening in slow motion. And I started researching that after they were able to administer chemotherapy. Um, they, they, with, with our guided imagery, they were able to draw three vials of spinal, spinal fluid so they could test for leukemic blasts and they knew which chemotherapy they could give him then. And they administered the chemotherapy. And after everybody had left our room, I'm bed sharing with my son and I've got my iPhone in my hand and I'm researching eye of the storm, eye of the storm. I was just really driven to, to look into that. What was it about that moment that made it feel all tingly and thick and um, like time was standing still. And I got onto um, YouTube and found Nassim Haramin. Oh yeah. He's good. Speaking in Barcelona and right when I turned it on, he was talking about, he said, any, meteorologist can tell you the velocity of the wind. I want to know the math of the eye. I want to know the math of singularity. And that was it. I was hooked from that point. And um, going into his research and learning what he meant by being the singularity, um, it was very profound because he referenced Einstein a hundred years ago, theorized that we are particles and waves at the same time, that a mm-hmm. photon is both a particle and wave simultaneously. But more importantly, as Nassim said, we oscillate between particle and wave at the speed of light. Wow. <laughs> because atoms have no marbles on the in the middle. There's nothing solid in an atom. It's all wave and all energy. But yet we are physical and we're energy and we oscillate and when we pray or meditate and get into that singularity we're rhythmically aligning that oscillation of all the atoms in our body so you actually become more wave than particle and i think that's the key when we're in deep prayer and deep meditation when we're in that seat of witness when we're in that singularity we calm down the chatter of the left brain, the monkey mind, and we're open to the right brain connection to our source and creation and divinity. And you become more wave than particle. And in that moment, in that zone, you have the unique ability to re-aim your cone of certainty, your direction, your trajectory of your best future self in that moment. And that was it that was the key and that sent us down deep down the rabbit hole and yes we were able to duplicate that for a dozen or more different situations that as they quoted he participated in saving his own life wow yeah that's so deep um yeah yeah of course of course um you i mean you're saying he participated in saving his own life but you were co-creating that together. You were yep. actively doing that. Um, so you were researching um, Nassim and as much as you could. How long was your preparation period to be able to learn what you needed to do to to replicate the eye of the storm or to go into that space? What was the lead time that you had? Well, the first time it was uh, like an hour between yeah. – we held a care conference and they told me what we needed to do. Mm. And it wasn't just an hour of isolation and preparation. It was also gowning up and washing and moving from one room to another and talking with the surgeon. And um, I had 
um, years before, you know, 30 some years ago now, I read the book, The Celestine Prophecy. One of my favorite books. One of my favorite books as well. And I've gone back and reread it. And um, James Redford was a visionary to think about what he wrote about entanglement and energy transfer and the things that he prophesized. And one of the, one of the biggest takeaways for me in that book is that um, they prophesized that at some point science will prove spirituality true and vice versa, because they've been polar opposites since humans conceived, you know, there, I always, uh, I used to post that, when there's something profound that I want to post, I post where science, biology, and spirituality merge Mm. because science and spirituality are both human constructs. Um, They exist in nature, but they wouldn't be defined or separated without the human doing that. So you're right. Us to combine the two, to finally bridge that gap, because they've been polar opposites and enemies Mm. for all of human existence, you know, since the beginning of science with Descartes and, you know, we'll deal with medicine, spirituality deals with spirit, right? They remove Mm. spirit from medicine right at that point with Descartes. Mm -hmm. So um, my goal has always been to be that low pressure system, to be that unifying factor that brings the two together. So I had a a really deep interest in it, but I wasn't like a mindfulness practitioner. I wasn't actively using it. I used it in my own life from time to time. But I also read the book um, Creative Visualization by Shaki Gawain. I've got that one as well. (laughs) I love that one. Yeah. And um, (laughs) it it showed the potential of visualization Mm -hmm. to me at that point. And I used it in my life. Um, so when I went into the procedure room with McCoy to talk him through it, as they said, um, his eyes were swollen shut and he's in the equivalent of an alien autopsy for children. And, you know, of course, everybody in there is trying to do their best and help him every way he can, but they were literally helpless. There was nothing they could do. And so when I was there at his bedside and I got as close to him as I could, and I just said, asked him to follow my voice. Mm-hmm. And I started talking him down the river that we mm-hmm. used to raft every summer, you know, when he was two years old and three years old. Cause remember he was only four years old at the time that this lumbar puncture happened when he was diagnosed, mm-hmm. four year old little boy, really, really afraid. And so I described everything about, the sun sparkling off the river and the water splashing in our face. And, and we skied for two years. So I was describing the sun glistening off the snow and the cold air on our face and as much detail and feeling in the moment as possible. And what turned out, I mean, they call that guided imagery now, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the, that's the medical clinical term for it. But at the time I was just trying to capture his mind and yeah. have him distracted away from what was happening to him physically. And so when I started talking to him, he would breathe really shallow. And we we were virtually forehead to forehead. And we were trying to match our breath with controlled yeah. breathing and entrainment, which I didn't even know what those were at the time. It was just <laughs> something I was just trying to be there in the moment with him. And he would breathe, and then about every fourth or fifth breath, he would kind of snort a little bit, like he was falling asleep. And what it turned out, I didn't know what it was at the time, but he was in that theta brainwave state that is the dawn and dusk of sleep. Mm -hmm. As we go from awake and alert to asleep, we pass through theta. And it's where you're in the rocking chair watching TV, you're in the lazy boy, and you're drifting off, and then you jump. It's like you're starting to go through theta, but then you jump back awake and your body convolts in a way that you couldn't do on purpose. You have more power in theta. It's the, it's a brainwave state of the mom who lifts the car off the child. You have unbelievable strength and power and ability in that state. So he was trying to fall asleep, but my voice kept him awake. So every fourth or fifth breath, he would snort a little bit and come back 
and just ride in theta. And it, he literally had a mind out of body experience. And um, that's what I researched. And that's what we were able to duplicate many, many times. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's life changing, not just for you and McCoy, but for all those doctors and nurses, physicians that observed that. Yeah. But then thereafter on your story, because this this led you to create mindful presence. Is that how you pronounce it or yes. present? How do no, you prefer? Mindful presence. It's like a gift. We are bringing the gift of mindfulness to pediatric patients, families, and care providers. Right. So that's the play on words. Yeah, it's a good play on words. It's a, it's a non-profit. Mm -hmm. um, what's your overall mission for the mind technology that you teach within your program? What is the mission? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the reality is very simple, is that when we can become in a coherent state, we can increase our receivership for life. Whatever happens in life, whether it's a medical challenge or an interview or a, 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 a loud neighbor or whatever we're having come into our consciousness, yeah. we can better respond when we're in that state of being. We increase our receivership of the moment. And it's a very simple thing because when we use our conscious intent to control our breathing, when we're triggered, we have very shallow, quick breaths. We have chest constriction. We're in the sympathetic fight or flight. And when we biohack by controlling our breathing, we're telling the parasympathetic nervous system that we're okay. Yeah. We can be calm. So when we have coherent breath work, we then entrain our heart and our heart has coherent rhythm, heart rate variance, like heart math test heart rate variance. Yeah. And when we're triggered in fight or flight, that is all over the place. It's an incoherent rhythm. Well, when we consciously entrain our breath, then we entrain our heart rhythm and then that leads to coherent thoughts, coherent emotions, coherent autonomic nervous system, coherent um, immune system, endocrine system. Everything becomes coherent and creates a state of homeostasis. We're in balance. And, and, and that's really the key because so often we get triggered by something in life or we just wake up triggered. And yeah. we go through and say that you have a capacity to deal with, you know, zero to 10, 10 is your overload, right? Well, if we start our day at warp seven, it doesn't take much to trigger us. But if we can get into that state of receivership where we're at zero, then little things don't trigger us over the edge. They, you know, they might take us to a two or three, but then we breathe and we're right back to zero. So that's the key. That's, that's what I'm trying to bring to the pediatric environment and of course, I want to bring that to the population um, in, in general, because like I say, if we can create this and have it prove function in the pediatric environment, then it can work for anybody anywhere. And um, I've actually been um, added to the Center for Healing Neurology here in uh -huh. Seattle as their mindfulness practitioner, and I'm um, providing this to their most stuck patients that are a couple of them have been shut-ins to where they can't take even the light of day triggers them over the edge. Yeah. So we've been able to like, after four visits, I've had people now driving and participating in cooking meals and bringing that autonomic tension, which is measurable, medically, scientifically measurable autonomic stress down into the two or three zone where they now have the capacity to deal with life and it's paradigm shifting. It is absolutely something that they've not heard of. They've been to every doctor, they've been to every psychiatrist, they've taken every drug, they've done everything and they're still in chronic pain. And this is something new that they identify with innately and it gives them hope and yes. then hope builds belief and we all know what belief can do, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, Absolutely. Like, yeah. There's a few things I want to touch on there, actually, because you were talking about um, you were talking about the um, state of allowance and um, the coherent mind, and what I'm what I'm guessing is is when we're in that state, when when I know that when we're in a fight or flight, our our range of resources and solutions are very narrow yeah. because we're just thinking about survival but presumably when a patient um is in that state of coherence they have a far greater range of options and ways of being and ways of thinking and it must it must create um a, a greater level of safety because you can think things through to a much greater level the other thing that um struck me is that um it's just gone actually it's it's right on the tip of my tongue oh oh yes this is i would imagine this is really important as well because if you're able to use your um technology um with things like spinal tap procedures and procedures that need some form of anesthetic if you're able to reduce the amount of anesthetic or even reduce it altogether then presumably the recovery time per patient is is significantly reduced I, I mean, I, I've had two natural births and then I had one where um, I was induced and I, I had medication um, and a tiny bit of gas and air. But my recovery time was really slowed down to when I was able to do it naturally and my body was able to um, work through everything. You know, I didn't have to wait to go to the toilet, etc. So what you're doing can have a huge effect on the range of options available to people. And also their recovery time. That's yeah. That's that incredible. is that is a huge point. Both of those are huge points, and I want to address them both. The sure. um, when we're triggered in fight or flight, we have convergent focus. We're trying to solve matter with matter. We're trying to put out fire with our hands. We're trying to use our feet to run or our fists to fight. We have very limited options available to us. We're in a reactive state. When we can center ourselves and become the eye of the storm and have that empty cup when we're at zero, then we have divergent focus instead of convergent right. focus. Yeah. And we open ourselves up to all the possibilities. Like the yes. simple statement of choice is a product of the pause, right? I like that. Choice is a product of the pause. Um, I'll write that down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so without taking the pause, without taking that, you're just going to react. And being open with divergent thinking, you're open to divinity. You're open to the download. And in quantum physics and everything I believe, every problem that we face has a solution in the quantum and when we're trying to solve matter with matter, we're not open up, open to that possibility. So mm -hmm. if we know that there's a solution for every problem and we're open to that, then we can take that download. And it's, it's scientifically proven. I mean, that's why there's a patent office in the first place. There's a, there's a phenomenon called simultaneous invention where yeah. throughout <laughs> history, multiple people have had the same idea at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. when humanity is focused on a problem, when they're truly in the moment, necessity is the mother of invention, right? The birthplace. So when you're in the moment, in right brain creation, that's where every song, every poem, every math equation, every invention comes from. Mm -hmm. So you are open to the solution instead of closed off reacting to the problem. So yeah. that's a very important point. The second thing you brought up, is actually um, I've been chosen to serve on a board for Seattle Children's Hospital mm -hmm. that is responding to a parent's request to relieve anxiety in pediatric care. So in their 2020 safety conference, they laid down the, the mandate that children's hospitals throughout the world find a way to reduce anxiety mm. in treatment. So they searched everywhere. 
And, you know, there's mindfulness-based stress reduction. There's lots out there, but nothing specifically for the pediatric environment, let alone actual practices and procedures like we do at Mindful Presence. So I was introduced to this lady, amazing lady, Jen Rokovic. She is the clinical efficiency specialist at Seattle Children's Hospital, and she's been searching for these modalities for quite a while, for like six months. And we got introduced. She attended one of my workshops through the Center for Spiritual Living that I do the second Sunday of the month. It's a free workshop that we do. And she contacted me because they work in Bellevue, Washington, at the first opiate-free surgical clinic in the United States. Wow. And what they prove, and this speaks to your point, that if you go under anesthesia freaked out, you're going to wake up freaked out. And you're yeah. going to have a longer hospital stay. You're going to have more pain and then more complications, pain medication, more complications, actually more complications during surgery as well. It, yeah. The surgeries, a five-hour surgery will take longer if the body is, is stressed. So yeah. everything we do in preparation for the procedure to bring anxiety down gives you the ability to get through the procedure better and also have a shorter stay and a shorter release. And the, as I said, McCoy's been able to, we've been able to replicate this in many procedures. The last major procedure that we went through, besides our monthly lab draws, which we still do our controlled breathing because who likes needles, right? The <laughs> last one, McCoy had to go through an eight-hour kidney transplant. And he went through the kidney transplant without an epidural and zero pain meds. And he was able to get through the surgery in a short time with zero complications. And he was released from the hospital without pain meds in nine days. And that is unheard of. It's never happened. What, what usually happens, you know, like how long do people, children well, stay in hospital with that kind of procedure? Well, when, when you're given an epidural, you, you're blocking your sensation and your conscious mind through anesthesia from what's actually happening. So your autonomic consciousness, your autonomic nervous system records everything and stores that trauma at the surgical site. And every time something after you wake up, it holds pain. And every time you approach that spot, I call it the dogs start barking and, you know, get away from the fence, right? So it's holding that trauma as a reminder to be careful, okay? So if we have less anxiety going in and less anesthesia and no epidural, mm -hmm. then your body's experiencing it as close to awake as possible. So the autonomic consciousness doesn't need to store that trauma in the soma as much. And then there's a better connection to how you feel. You can participate in your own wellness. So if once you take opiates, which is mandated, I had to actually, um, I don't want to say confront or um, <laughs> I had to convince the pain mm -hmm. team that his epidural and pain opiates were not necessary. McCoy only had an opiate once and he hated it. He, he had the minimum IV, uh, IV drip of morphine that they could give him because he thought he was going, they thought he was going to have an aneurysm if they couldn't get his blood pressure down. So I approved it for three days and he had withdrawals. He hated it. he, he felt he couldn't participate in his own wellness if he was disconnected because opiates don't kill pain. They just detach you from caring. Yeah. Yeah. So that conscious detachment just stores more pain and trauma. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, when you take opiates, it makes you not want to eat. It makes you disassociate with your body. You can't have bowel movements. And those are all things required to be, released from okay. the hospital. Right? <laughs> yes. So what we were told when, when, you know, when he was coming out of surgery and they turned off, well, the second, the, the, um, the transplant, he didn't even have an epidural. So 
A month prior to that, they took out his left kidney in preparation for the transplant on his right side so they could get part of it done. And that was a five-hour surgery. He had a one-hour epidural and zero pain meds. So on the kidney transplant, they didn't even give him an epidural. They were really testing to see what we were doing was working. So they told us that he started eating and peeing and bowel movement like day two. He was already up and walking. I've got videos of him walking around the ward. And they say, you know, we have big, tough teenagers in here, big, tough teenage boys that are in the hospital for over a month because they can't force themselves to eat and they can't have a bowel movement. And that's because they're on opiates. Yeah. So when you remove that cloud, that disconnection of the opiate, it opens you up for your own innate wellness, your own ability to heal, your hunger, your drive to your connection to your body. Because if, if you disassociate your conscious mind to your body, you can't feel, you don't have the desire to pee or have a bowel movement or, or function at all. Yeah. You can't even imagine getting up. It's so bad. So that's why I'm I'm just so honored to be part of the research team that's um, working with the first opiate-free surgical clinic in the United States. Because, like I said, they've been searching for something to help them with their modalities. And when they found what we're doing and attended the workshop, they said, you're starting to answer questions that we haven't even asked yet. You're providing us with a blueprint for how to make this work. So I'm the only non-clinician on the panel, and we're going to serve with eight children's hospitals. And the um, what they come up with for modalities will be done internationally through children's hospitals. So that's an amazing honor. And it's something we're you know really looking forward to having come to fruition. Wow. <laughs> I almost don't know what to ask you after that. I mean, it's incredible. Um, so mindful presence has been in effect since 2017, right? Yes. And how many people would you say you've helped through their their own on their journey with your training and re-education so far? And who are your clients specifically? Yeah, well, um, originally it was pediatric patients and their families only. And now it's broadened out to the general public through our workshops, through the Center for Spiritual Living and the Center for Healing Neurology. And um, we are taking the training and modalities that we've done in the pediatric environment and applying it to the general population. Um, so the number of patients that we've interacted with are incountable. I spent, um, McCoy and I and his sister, Logan, spent three and a half years living at the Ronald McDonald house. And the average stay is two or three months. So over the course of three and a half years, I interacted with hundreds of families. And whether it was just a conversation in the kitchen or sitting and doing breath work, um, we actually had a number of times we would have 10 to 15 children in our room and I had the heart math equipment and I actually had the honor to run heart math runs on children that had heart transplants. And that is an extremely delicate population that um, really needs our help because when you go through a heart transplant, they disconnect your heart and they prepare the new heart to go in and they hook everything up. But the one thing they can't hook up is the vagal nerve. And the vagal nerve is the main connection. It's the hard wiring between your heart and your brain. And the heart communicates to the brain and mind body in seven different ways. So the vagal nerve is the hard wiring, the main pathway. And when that, when, when they are denerved and the new heart goes in and the nerve can't be hooked up, then the mind is the brain is constantly searching for that connection. So they never feel in tune to their feelings. Yeah. 
So our training has shown that there's six other ways that the heart communicates to the brain and mind body. The next most powerful one is biophysical, which is the actual hydraulic pump of the heart gives signals throughout the body. So we've developed um, the where you feel your heartbeat. And then your mind is now connected to your biophysical heartbeat. So you're bypassing that vagal nerve by be consciously being in contact with your biophysical pulse of your heart. And we do a series of breathing exercises that leads us to what I call coherence breathing, to where you breathe in for five heartbeats and you breathe out for six heartbeats. And now you're making a biophysical connection between your brain and your heart with your mind. And that makes all the difference. That has proven to be the key factor with every single person I've worked with is making, whether you've had a heart transplant or not, um, the coherence breathing is the main tool that gives us that coherent rhythm because we have a reset breathing where you breathe in for four seconds through the nose and then you do an oral exhale for eight seconds and you make an O sound. And what that does is when you're stuck in the sympathetic, that's like a defib starting your heart again. You take a sharp nasal inhale and it'll raise the sympathetic level higher than where it was stuck. And then when you do an eight second exhale out of the mouth with the O sound, it triggers the parasympathetic and starts to spray serotonin into the bloodstream and on the heart. And then we do a controlled breathing where you breathe in for five seconds through the nose and you breathe out for six seconds out of the mouth, saying an awe sound. Again, the vocal cords vibrate the vagal nerves and release serotonin and that calms the heart. And then right after five cycles of that, you reach for your heartbeat and, and your, your pulse and your wrist. And instead of counting seconds, you let the heart lead and you count heartbeats. So you're going from entraining your heart to your breath to entraining your breath to your heart. And that's a very, very important connection because the heart is the conductor of the orchestra. It is meant to lead the way. It has neural tissue. There's a study, there's a class of study called neurocardiology. In the 1950s, John and Beatrice Lacey found neural tissue around the heart, and it started neurocardiology. And that's what heart math goes with. That's the science behind heart intelligence is that the heart has the ability to have memory, have intuition, and communicate that information to the brain and mind body, like I said, in seven different ways. So the, we're made to lead with the heart. We are physically constructed our physiology is made to lead with the heart. And in the Western world, with all this chatter and anxiety keeping us stuck in the fight or flight mode, yeah. we don't lead with the heart. The heart is out of rhythm. So that's where th this is the key, is that intentionally having coherent breath rhythm brings coherent heart rhythm, and it brings coherent emotions and feelings and thoughts and physiology in our body. So that's the real key to biohacking our way to wholeness and wellness. Oh my goodness. This is um, well, incredible, first of all. And I'm so pleased that you're here sharing this with me and, and to the audience who I'm sure are going to really take something from this. This isn't the, this isn't the first time I've heard actually this week that the heart leads the way. I actually spoke to a neuroscientist earlier this week who went through all the bother of training in brain science only to realize that actually it's all about the heart. Um, so I had quite an interesting conversation with him, but I, I, I absolutely love your, um, the context that you're putting around this subject, it, it, it's incredible. Um, I've got to ask, like given that you um, have have shared your message with so many people when you were at the, was it Ronald McDonald House? Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing training re-education. Re Has your method been endorsed or, or picked up by anyone else? You know, how do you intend to further your reach to help more families? Yeah, yeah, great question. And, and it's actually our mission. Um, 
I was extremely fortunate to pick up a unilateral endorsement from Dr. Bruce Lipton. No uh, way. I mean, that's, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah it's huge. <laughs> wow. And it's part of it, part of it is, is on our website. If you go to yeah. our website, it's on there. You can drill down to it. But I had the opportunity to meet him three times. I went to um, a science and spirituality workshop in Nanaimo a few years ago. And then on Vashon Island here in Seattle, outside of Seattle, he was at the Sunrise Dancers Group doing a benefit for them. And I was able to meet his amazing wife, Margaret, and tell her our story. And she is just the biggest hearted. She was in tears and giving me kisses. And she literally, when I told her that my son went through a kidney transplant with zero epidural, zero pain meds, she literally walked over to Bruce, who was at a desk, at a table, with a line of people signing books and kissing babies and doing all that, she literally grabbed him by the arm, drug him away, and said, you need to take a minute and talk to this man. And um, his, he then took me to his amazing young manager, um, Annie Willis, and said, set something up with this guy. We need to help him out. And I, I literally, the ask, I want your endorsement which was a big ass because the guy's 35 year father of epigenetics. He's got his entire reputation and career and he does yeah. not do endorsements. The man does not do endorsements. Very, very rare. And then it was just before Christmas that that was um, two years ago in, in Vashon Island. And she, I, I reached out to Annie afterwards just to follow up. And she said, well, unfortunately, I've talked to Bruce and we're booked for a year and a half. He's not even going to have time to look at this. And I just was so disappointed. But I was like, okay, I got to be that low pressure system. I got to practice what I preach. And I just emptied my cup. I said my ho'oponopona. I cleared it. And I just said, okay, it'll work out for the best. I just have to trust it'll work out for the best. And then right after Christmas, she sent me an email that said, well, I got a big surprise. Bruce took it upon himself to start researching on the plane ride coming down. And I have this amazing endorsement for you. So that was just a huge affirmation for me because someone at that level that's been out slinging it for all these years and talking with all of the leading experts you know, involved with um, all different kinds of like heart math and, you know, um, people researching his work. And it, it was just a real affirmation for me because, you know, I'm a high school graduate. I don't have any letters behind my name. I'm just a dad that was trying to do good for his son, you know, be there in the moment and get through it together. And I'm self-taught. And well, not really. I mean, I have all these mentors, the books that I've read that have really tied this all together for me. They're all my teachers, all my mentors, all of our teachers, all of our mentors, not just me, because they teach the world. I mean, there's a list of people that are, are one of a kind in what they teach, you know, with Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and Candace Pert and, you know, Dan Siegel, who wrote Mindsight and, you know, talking about the neuroscientist side of it, he talks about the heart leading the way and, and what the brain's brain does with that. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's, it's amazing connection. Um, but yeah, getting his endorsement was huge. And I'm working with an amazing man, uh, Bruce Cryer, who was the CEO, former CEO of HeartMath. And um, he's, he now is the president of the Graduate Institute and is a teacher at Stanford. He teaches mindfulness at Stanford. And he just fell in love with what we're doing. And he's, he's, he's being a big help right now behind the scenes and, and hopefully will play a big part in what we do in the future. So, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly looking for um, other people to work with and spread the word. Um, in my workshops for the Center for Spiritual Living, I've had the privilege of working with several different mental health professionals in the Seattle area who 
are in need of this for themselves because they have what's called empathy fatigue for being a counselor and working with trauma all the time and have nothing, no way to deal with it. Um, and then doctors, doctors are the number one rising rate of suicide in the United States because they have nowhere to go with this trauma. I had one doctor who is um, heading the clinical efficiency team at Seattle Children's Hospital who said he's going to, he's vowing to bring this into hospitals as penance for 30 years of holding kids down. And what that does in his own body like he says, every time he prescribes a poke for a child, he knows that that's just going to build and build and build because you don't get rid of it. You don't reset after every one. But with our treatment, our therapy, you have low anxiety going in. You have skills training of how to take that IV placement. And then you get rid of it and you reset so it doesn't build one after the other. Yeah. And that, that has really been a key because what creates PTSD is an overstimulation of the hippocampus. And it starts to take memories that should be explicit. Like I went through this at this day and this time, and then I went through this other at this day and this time. They're explicit of you. They're, they're separate of you. It's I went through these events. Well, when it gets overstimulated, it turns them into an implicit memory, which means it implies it is you. So- yeah. When a war veteran comes home from trauma at war and hears a door slam and dives under the bed and literally sees feet walking through a marsh with machine guns, yeah. lucidly visually seeing that, that's because their hippocampus has been so overstimulated that it turns all that into implicit memory of themselves and it actually plays out every day when it gets triggered. So understanding that and doing the breath work and the coherent breathing to separate you. Like um, Eckhart Tolle said, we, we are not our thoughts and emotions. We are the awareness of them. So when you step back, you remove yourself from that implicit memory and it becomes explicit again. And it takes the charge out of that PTSD. It's and breath work. Those are the only proven ways to cure PTSD. So um, that's there's tons of brain science behind that. And Dan Siegel of Mindsight leads the way with it. He, that's, he taught me that. He teaches the world that. So That's incredible. So what I'm hearing from you in your mission to take your knowledge as far and as wide as you can to make it really mainstream is that you are finding collaborative um, collaborative partnerships with people who have also done research and, you know, where you kind of fit together. What are your future plans specifically? You know, like, yeah. um, are you going to set up your own center at some point or, you yeah. know, is that how it's going to grow? Yeah, actually just this morning, I finished an email to the owner's rep for a 19 acre facility in Seattle, right by Seattle children's called the Talaris. It's an amazing uh, it's got a hotel, a restaurant, conference centers. It's got um, therapy centers. It was a, originally set up to be an institute for higher learning for pediatric patients. And yeah. um, it's owned by Bruce McCaw um, in the Seattle area. And it is empty. It's vacant. And it's been um, under contract to be torn down and have $69, $2 million homes built. And that fell through it. You know, the universe can't allow that to happen. And um, we have a, a group that can purchase and fund it. And we are looking to create a research and implementation center to where we can bring these modalities to mainstream. We can show that this type of environment of receivership can have greater outcomes than the standard model. And we aren't trying to set up something where, you know, you hold these crystals together and you won't have to take your chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. That's not it. We're not bucking the system. We want to do everything known through ancient cultures, Lamaze breathing, anything that we can bring 
to that environment to enhance the receivership. Because whatever you resist persists. If you fight something, it takes more and more medicine. And that's one of the key things. Pharmaceuticals, pharmaceutical pharmacists know the pharmaceutical industry and the pharmacists know it takes four times the medication to penetrate the core of a child who's in fear than one who is not. Wow. So when you have fight or flight, you have a visceral effect on your forebrain and your core. You don't digest, you don't need to digest food. If you're running from a saber toothed tiger, right? you need to run and fight. So when they're afraid and triggered, it takes four times the dose to penetrate those cells. And then mm-hmm. it lays there stagnant without circulation. So if we can open up that parasympathetic and um, vasal dilate instead of vasal constrict, then we can allow for blood flow. So the medicine can be delivered and then leave the body. You know, one of the biggest problems in the pediatric environment is the after effect, the side effects of the treatment. It isn't the, you know, yes, they originally saved his life by treating his leukemia, but the radiation and the chemotherapy they give is enough to kill you. They just yeah. keep you alive, mm-hmm. you know, resuscitate you. And then it's the side effects from mm-hmm. overdosing that high dose that it takes to penetrate the body. So, um, yes, we have plans for a wellness center here in Seattle that should be the, um, you know, the world headquarters of mindful presence and the prototype. There should be one at every children's hospital in the world. There should be some sort of support system um, for um, every children's hospital and then branch out to all medicine in general. And then we've um, my partner, Bonnie. Uh, McCaffrey and I have, uh, we're business partners and great friends. We've co-invented a product that brings this into a stuffed animal. And it, 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 I can't really release everything that does. We've done a patent search on it and we have a prototype being built. Um, and it's something that can be given, gifted, uh, another mindful present, um, given to pediatric patients and families, um, to what it does is it pretty much emulates what I did for McCoy. I became his, you know, paced breathing and coherence. And, you know, that's, that's something that we're bringing. So, you know, I'm reaching out in every possible way, um, creating a wellness center, creating a product. Um, We are going to be offering uh, a series of children's books to that utilize reframing Mm -hmm. guided imagery and controlled breathing in order to replace and reframe the situation into something more manageable that the child can close eyes and visualize and, and recreate that mind out of body experience. So we're, you know, I'm doing everything I can and I'm still of course, self funding. I've been working another job um, for this entire time to pay the bills and everything I do is uh, not as, um, is volunteer at this point. Um, so we're looking for funding we're, um, to support us uh, on, a, on our daily walk. And we also are approaching some very high power um, people in the Seattle area that are t- completely capable of funding this. So we're doing all we can. Wow. Wow, it's like you've left no stone unturned. <laughs> it's um, really vigorous. Um, I really feel like this is like a vast subject, um, and and I could talk to you about all the different facets of what you do, almost as separate conversations. Um, you know, each time like delving deeper and deeper into this. Um, yeah. So I'd love to talk to you more at another stage. You know, to sort of explore different parts of the research that you've been doing. Um, yeah. There's the two, uh, sorry, the 2021, yeah, the 2021 health and, not the health and safety executive, the higher self expo, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the higher self expo is taking place um, on July the 17th and 18th of this year. It's a 24 hour expo with 33 guest speakers and you're one of them. So just wondering, what are you going to be presenting about during that time? Oh, great question um i actually spirituality isn't it 
Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's perfect for what we do. And I'm actually going to read this right off air so I don't get it wrong because I want to advertise for them perfectly. My um, speaking topic title is Harnessing Our Innate Ability to Achieve Wellness. It's very simple, you know, and um, we are going to we're going to talk about how we bring consciousness and spirit into the moment to enhance receivership whether it's in the pediatric environment or anywhere in life. And that is, and what's, what's amazing about it is that the autonomic nervous system, you can transfer the words to automatic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So it does things automatically. It grows your fingernails. It grows your hair. Well, not mine, but it, 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 (laughs) you know, it does everything. It scans your environment externally. It scans your environment internally and it does it automatically. So, when we have that Venn diagram of overlap of these are the things that controls automatically and these are the things we control by choice, you can, I call it the Zen diagram because in the middle of it, like there's your breathing, mm-hmm. linking your eyes, you know, like take those, for example, you don't have to think about breathing. Your autonomic nervous system does it automatically. You don't have to think about breathing or blinking your eyes. It does that automatically. But if you consciously choose to, you can change your breathing and you can blink your eyes. So in that overlap between what it does automatically and what you have control of, there's a few things that we can use to biohack our autonomic nervous system and tell it that we're okay. The most powerful one is breath. Breath is the gateway. It has been for centuries, for, you yeah. know, since the beginning of time, humans have known this, like I said, through Lama's breathing. So when we take one of those in the center of the uh, Zen diagram and we use it, the autonomic nervous system responds to it automatically in every single person. It's not a choice. It is an automatic biohack that everybody can use and take advantage of. And like I said, ancient cultures have known it, but what I'm trying to be is that low pressure system between science and spirituality and draw those two together Yeah, where we have scientific backing that it works, that it biohacks and it's automatic and you will gain the result of it automatically, no matter what, like when the center for healing neurology refers patients to me, I don't even get a list of what's, what their ailments are, what their treatments are, because I will listen to whatever they want to talk to me about, but what I'm going to do for them is exactly the same, no matter what they have whether it's just anxiety or I want to try to get better breath work or I'm in chronic pain and chronic disease and, um, you know, completely stuck. I start out with the science behind the breath and the autonomic nervous system and go from there. And then we let, you know, always let the heart lead the way. Wow. 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 So if, um, You've covered so much and there, I mean, there's so many times I've just literally picked up my pencil (laughs) and um, made a note. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I'm sure that anyone listening today will, will be fascinated by this. If somebody has been listening and thinks, okay, I really want to work with you, Jeff, or I know somebody that really needs to connect with you, Mm -hmm. what's the best way that they can connect with you right now? Yeah, that's great. Um, My email is jeff at mindfulpresence.org and um, I give out my phone number 360-941-7005. I do private Zooms. I do group Zooms. I still meet in person. I have clinic space here in Seattle. Um, I meet here at my home or at other people's homes. Um, Like I said, if I'm working with someone who's a shut-in, I have to go travel and work in their environment. and I do, I, um, I do all of my work by donation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a fee when I'm working um, with patients that are referred to me, but when people contact me um, through the nonprofit, um, I never charge the people in need. I look for private and corporate sponsorship so that we do not need to tap into the resources of the people in their darkest hours. Yeah. And um, so 
I am very happy to talk with anybody and spread the word and do what I can to help out in any way. That's amazing. And, and uh, presumably if somebody is listening and they've, um, you know, they're, they're wealthy and they want to, or even not wealthy, but they want to contribute, they can also reach you in the same way. Yeah, they can. And on, on our website, mindfulpresence.org, we have a donate button. Okay. And um, we, we also, we do through PayPal or we have a little, that little uh, icon at the top of our website for Patreon. We have a Patreon site where I'm looking for patron saints to help fund me in my work and for the construction of the new product as well. So we are open to investors. We're open to don't, uh, uh, patron saint donations, like I said. Um, and then that will just help me continue to further my work. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I've had enough of your time today, although I'd love to meet up again, but last question. Um, if there was one thing, just one thing that you wanted, um, people to take from this overall message, what would it be, Jeff? Well, I know that life right now, the situation we're in, humanity is very triggering mm -hmm. and people feel stuck. And the one thing I want people to take away from this is that there is more to this than we know. We have the ability to, to enhance our receivership through this work. We have the ability to change paradigms with this work and we offer hope. And that's the one thing I want people to have hope that they know that there's something out there, someone out there that can help them get unstuck. Fantastic. Perfect. Well, I just want to really thank you um, absolutely from my heart. I welled up. I don't know if you saw it or not. I'm very lucky I haven't got mascara down my face. When all I, feel misty I feel you from here, Louisa. And, and that's yeah. like what, what I said before. I'm, I'm honored to be working with you as well. Um, I like your heart and soul and the way you deliver. And um, I'm more than happy to have more conversations. And I'm looking forward to do some video captures and work with you. Um, to handle this part of it for me. I appreciate that. Yeah. I would really, really love, love to do that. I'm yeah. very Con committed to do that. Consider us partners right now. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to kind of shake your hand. <laughs> so thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I guess is all I'm going to say. And um, yeah. Yeah. Just thank you. I guess stay tuned. You know, um, if you're listening into this now um, and you've enjoyed this, stay tuned, subscribe to my channel. Jeff, do you have any, um, a YouTube channel that people can like, yeah. Social yeah. media. If you go to um if you go to our website, there's the little YouTube icon and okay. there's a series of recordings. And you know, you gotta be prepared because McCoy learned some amazing sayings and mantras during the time. And if you go to our website and click on the YouTube channel, there's a number of different videos that will actually take your heart away, take your breath away. Yeah. Brilliant. So yeah, if you've enjoyed this, please do subscribe to my channel and also check out Jeff's channel. Jeff, thank you so much for today and I look mm. forward to seeing you real soon. Thank you so much. It's been fun. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, thanks for help spreading the word. I appreciate it. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I hope you are as suitably moved as I am from um, my conversation with Jeff there. Um, We've just had a little um, uh, conversation just after um, our meetup and um, I've agreed to do um, a, a fortnightly. So every two weeks I'm going to um, sit with him and record some more videos. So we're going to go through some of his techniques, you know, every two weeks um, so that he can actually spread some of the knowledge that he has got from all the work that he's done um, to help him on his mission. And I'm so excited. Um, I can't tell you how much I was moved by that. Um, I just, you know, as a parent, um, I don't even think you need to be a parent to understand the kind of fear that a, a small child might go through or even an, an adult. We've all been in situations where we've needed help and have felt vulnerable. So the kind of technology that he's, he's working with is, is really, really special. So, um, 
if you want to connect with him, if you want to send him a few pennies, or if you just, um, you know, want to sign up, it's like subscribe to his channels, then just look here. I'm going to pop them in because I don't have them written down in front of me, but I know I can post produce all the links right there. So anyway, um, thank you so much for joining me here today and for being witness to Jeff's incredible message. Um, if you enjoy these, then please do subscribe. Please share this far and wide. You know, you never know when someone in your social media group is in the situation that he can actually help with. So please do share. Um, please do comment underneath. Um, and sending you so much love from where I am in Portugal to wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for participating today. Lots of love. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then why not support today's guest at the Higher Self Expo in July 2021? The Higher Self Expo is a worldwide 24-hour event with 33 guest speakers who are all sharing their wisdom and exploring the connection between science and spirituality. To register your place and find out more, go to www.higherselfexpo.com.